At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. May he add his blessing to it. As you know, we've been traveling through uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, line by line, verse by verse, and what we have found is that we are actually in a series within our series. So we're preaching through the Gospel of Luke, but over the last several weeks, we have found, discovered, this mega theme continues to emerge from the Gospel of Luke, and that mega theme, the thing that that we're being drawn to in these several passages of text is this deep, rich, multi-layered theological concept of the kingdom. The kingdom. We, we saw the kingdom back in chapter 12. Just jump all the way back to chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. It says, instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're, we're told to seek the kingdom. We're instructed that it is the the desire of the God of the universe to actually give us this kingdom. And and then last week in in our text, last week we saw in chapter 13, verse 18, let your eyes scroll down to that, this this picture, he, he, he gives us these pictures. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? So he's drawing us to this thought of the kingdom, and he tells us that the kingdom is like, do you remember? He gave us two pictures. The first one was a mustard seed. This, this little small seed that grows into a tree, or, or it's, it's like leaven. This, this thing that you can't see it, you can't hear it, but it's, it's silently working, and in the end, it permeates through the whole bread. All the bread is permeated with this leaven. Yeah. And so he's telling us, all about the kingdom. And so jump to our passage today. Just, I just want to prove to you that this is what this mega theme in the text is all about. If you, if you jump to our text today, chapter 13, just, just let your eyes scroll down to 28. Underline, underline this. It says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets, here it is, in what? The kingdom of of God, verse 29, and people will come from east to west, from north to south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. That This is what God is drawing us to. He's, he's pointing us to the kingdom of God. And so by way of review from last week, just in case you forgot, because I forgot, and I'm going to tell you again, because I told you last week, let me tell you one more time, the kingdom, write this down, the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. I know I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. The kingdom has come, meaning this, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ then is a physical manifestation of the kingdom by virtue of being the king. So when you see Jesus, you see the physical kingdom of God there in human flesh. So when we say kingdom, the kingdom of God, we certainly mean Jesus himself. But we mean something more than that, don't we church family? Y'all remember from last week. So, So we can say when we're thinking about the kingdom, we know that the kingdom has come. We know that the kingdom then is here, meaning this, anywhere people's hearts belong to the king, there is the kingdom of God. 
And so this morning, we, we find ourselves gathered together, a people, a people gathered together as citizens of the kingdom. Therefore, what you're seeing here is a gathering, a picture of the kingdom of God. The local church right here today, this morning. Can you believe that, church family? Can you look around to your left and to your right and believe that you're seeing the kingdom of God? Now, is it an imperfect picture? Absolutely, it's an imperfect picture. We, we have not been fully restored, fully redeemed yet. We're, we're waiting on that. But here today, this very morning, you are seeing a picture of the kingdom, people of, of, of different backgrounds, different ethnicities from different parts of the world with different ideologies and different thoughts. But here we are all united together under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. So, so the kingdom is coming. When the kingdom has come, the kingdom is here, and the kingdom will come. That is the second coming when Jesus returns and he finally and fully restores all broken things. Everything that is broken will be mended. There will be no more sin, no more shame, no more crying. The night will be no more. We will have no need of light because he will be our light. He will establish his forever kingdom here on earth, and we will rule and reign with him in a perfect kingdom forever. That is also the kingdom. So it is pictured there in Jesus Christ in his physical form. It's pictured here this morning in the context of a local church, and the kingdom is also to come, the forever kingdom that is to come. And so, again, that is all by way of of review. And so last week, what we said and that the argument that I tried to make was there is no greater kingdom and there is no greater king. And so what we want to seek to do this morning, th this is this is part two. OK, so so if you think about last week's sermon, th th this is part two. So last week we said there is no greater kingdom and there is no greater king. And so today we're going to build on top of that one more layer. Be sure that you belong to the kingdom. If there is no greater kingdom and there is no greater king, then, then what is pointing to us, the, what, what is resting heavy on us and on our shoulders this morning as we're going to go through this text, the call to us is for you to make sure you, you are you in the kingdom? Do you belong to to the kingdom. All, all this, this kingdom talk, which we've just rehearsed this morning, is that yours? Do, do you belong to Jesus and does Jesus belong to you? Do you belong to the local church and does the local church then belong to you? Is that forever kingdom? Do you belong to it? Are you a citizen of that kingdom? And, and are you sure? Are you sure that you are a citizen of that kingdom. This is not something that you can afford to leave in uncertainty. The consequences are too severe. You need to be sure that you belong because the truth is there are a lot of people that are deeply mistaken on this very issue. Okay, statistically, the vast majority of Americans believe in God. Read any statistics anywhere, it's going to show you the vast majority of Americans, really the vast majority of people, believe in some type of higher power. Now, on top of that, what most people believe, whether Americans or most people anywhere, is that there is some type of life after death. Like, nine out of ten. There, there, <laughs> there is a very, 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 very small margin of people that are actually atheists and believe that after you die, there's, that's it. Most people believe that there is a God and that there is some type of afterlife. Now, one more layer to that. Most of the people that believe in God and believe that there is an afterlife believe that when they go to that afterlife, 
it's going to go good for them. So all of those people that, oh, I believe in a God, I believe in some type of afterlife, heaven, whatever you want to call it, and, and I'm going to go and it's going to be good for me. How do you know that? But by what merit? By what virtue? How can you be sure that it's, this is why people say silly things at funerals and, it, and they're, they're just trying to cope through grief and so we can't be too hard on them, but they say, I, I, just, I know he's gone to a better place. How do you know? How do you know he's gone to a better place? How, how can we be sure? The, the, the question is, does that person then belong to the kingdom? We live in a land of false assurance. The, the church has even been guilty of giving false assurance. And, and this is what we absolutely need to, need to correct. We, we might say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. I believe God is love. Uh, if there is a heaven or an afterlife, I don't see why God wouldn't let me in. And, and, and again, it's not just out there, people out there, but it's also people within the church. There are people in the church who attend the church who are living under false assurance. And so be sure that you belong to the kingdom. Or here, let me, let me say it another way. Be sure you belong to Jesus instead of just desiring his blessings. I'm also saying that. So, so, so being a part of the community of God, being in the family of God, there are a ton of blessings. But is that all that you're here for? Just to get, get, get Jesus' stuff? Just to, man, it, I feel better about myself when I go to church? Is that why you're here? We, we, we have to strive. We have to strive to be sure that you belong to Jesus instead of just desiring his blessings. Or how about this? When I say be sure that you belong to the kingdom, I'm also saying this. Be sure that you belong to Jesus' church instead of just using the church's resources. Oh, help me today. I don't have time to preach on that. I got to move on. Be, be sure that on that great and final day, you will be numbered among those in his kingdom. Now, how? I'm about to, this is the whole sermon. I'm about to give you the whole thing. How can you be sure that you belong to the kingdom? The key is in verse 24. Let your eyes skip to it. 24, look at that word. See that word? Strive. Strive. How can, how can you be sure that you belong to the kingdom? That you belong to Jesus, that you belong to his church, that on that great and final day you will be called among that number of God's people? Strive. That's, that's how you know you belong to the kingdom if you strive. What, what does it mean to strive? Well, let's ask the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 2.12, just the back half of the verse. You guys know this. Work out your own, what? Salvation with fear and trembling. So instead of work out your own salvation, strive for your own salvation. Hang with me now. I, know, I, can, I can feel you saying I thought, I thought we believe in grace alone through faith alone. I'm getting there. Calm down. How about, how about Philippians 3.14? The Apostle Paul says, I press on towards the goal, or I strive towards the goal to the upward call of God in Christ. Or listen to the way that the Lord Jesus says it in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me. Or he could say, if anyone would come after me, he must strive, take up his cross. He must strive and follow me. There is this idea of, of striving here inherently in our text. If you're taking notes, this is so important. Striving towards the kingdom is evidence you belong to the kingdom. 
striving toward the kingdom. I want to belong to Jesus. I want Jesus. I want more of him in my life. I want to obey Jesus. I want to honor Jesus. I want to be in his church with his people serving the church. I strive. It's, it's difficult. It's painful, but I'm going to keep going. That striving then is evidence you belong to the kingdom. Now notice I'm using this word evidence. So to be clear, we believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That, that's how one is then justified by grace alone. But we're using the word evidence because it's evidence that you do belong. It's evidence, striving is evidence, not merit. Are y'all with me? That's two different things. Evidence is different than merit. So evidence is showing that you belong to the kingdom. So striving does not buy you a ticket to the kingdom. There, there is no striving that you can do which would get you into the kingdom. So if I'm striving towards the kingdom, then I am a citizen of that kingdom. So striving is evidence, not merit to be sure. Okay, here's what we need to do. We need to get to our text, but what I want to do is I want us to build, build this sermon then around three questions and, and a lament or three questions and, and an exhortation. Can we do that this morning? First, how many are in the kingdom? It's the first question we're going to see. Jesus is approached by someone and they, they ask, is it a lot or a little? <laughs> how, how many people are in the kingdom in verses 22 through 23a? Second, we're going to see, how do, you, how do you get into the kingdom? Or how do you know you belong to the kingdom? In verses 23b through 30. Thirdly, we're going to see, who can stop the kingdom? Don't shout out the answer, just wait. Who can stop the kingdom? Fourthly, lastly, lament over those who reject the kingdom in verses 34 through 35. Firstly, can we get into our text today? Firstly, how, how many are in the kingdom of God? Again, I'm, I'm in Luke chapter 13. I'm starting in verse 22. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, we found ourselves in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where it says that he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. We have been through this, this narrative. It's called the traveling narrative. It, it started in chapter 9. It's actually going to end in chapter 19. All from there to there, he, he's traveling towards Jerusalem. And, and he's, been, um, he's been telling parables. He's been healing people. Uh, he, he's been doing all sorts of stuff, eating meals and and what Luke is reminding us of is Jesus ain't off track. <laughs> he, Jesus has not forgotten his mission. Yes, he's teaching. Yes, he's preaching. Yes, he's casting out demons and healing and eating meals. But he's still on his way to Jerusalem. You see, church family, our Savior is not a victim of a powerful religious system that chewed him up and spit him out. Nor is Jesus a victim of a tyrannical Roman government overlords who executed a rebel in their kingdom. No, Jesus was sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross in our place for our sins. While he's journeying there, look at verse 23, just the beginning. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved, i.e. be in the kingdom, will those who are saved be you. Now, this is not an abstract question. This is a very logical question connected directly to 
what Jesus has just been teaching. Remember, he, he, just, he was just teaching about Jesus' kingdom. And what did he say about the kingdom? He said, we're expecting Jesus to say, the kingdom is like a mountain that you cannot climb. But, but he doesn't say that at all. Jesus says, the kingdom is like a little itty-bitty, eensy-weensy, tiny mustard seed. You go, okay, <laughs> that's confusing. And, but, but then he said, wait, 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 I got another one. If that one's confusing to you, it's, it's, it's also like leaven. Now, for the full explanation of that, go back and listen to last week's podcast. But, but you can understand why this guy now is thinking, if the kingdom is small and hidden, like a, like a small seed or like leaven, then probably not a lot of people are going to get in. That, that's what he's thinking, and that's why he asked this question. So, so again, look back at the question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, what we're going to see in just a moment is that Jesus does not answer this question. He, Jesus, in the, read it for yourself. We're about to read it together. He does not say, you nailed it, correct answer, or no, you got it wrong. There's actually going to be, he, he doesn't answer the question. He answers the question that this man should have asked. He doesn't answer the question that he asked. He answers the question that he should have asked. Here's what I want us to see before, uh, before moving along. The truth of God's word is not given to us so that we can speak that we have surrounding the Bible. And, and this, there are, many, there are many questions that we have surrounding the Bible. And, and this, this man is asking this 30,000 foot question a 30,000-foot question about the kingdom, and Jesus is going to take his 30,000-foot question that's way up here and, and is not landing practically in this man's life, and he's going to take that 30,000-foot question and land it directly on the ground in this man's life and say it's not about how many are going to be in the kingdom. The better question, are you, do you belong to the kingdom? That's exactly what, what Jesus is going to say. And so the word of God then is given to us not to just think about uh, abstract things, but is given to us to change our lives in a particular way. So the, the, the questioner's fate is, is resting up here. And Jesus says, no, no, we're, we're going to bring it right down here onto ground. And I want to uh, worry about yourself. Now, <clears throat> you're asking about the many on this particular issue. And I want to tell you, you need to worry about yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're, if you're taking notes, don't let questions, don't let questions keep you from the kingdom. <laughs> don't let questions, now, now let me flesh this out, but, but, but love to play stump the pastor. Flesh this statement out. People love to play stump the pastor, okay? Comes with the territory, I understand it, I get it. As soon as they find out, hey, what do you know, like you're hanging out at a party with some people, you know, and they're like, hey, what do you do? What do you do? Well, you know, the, the whole thing. As soon as they find out, it's like, oh boy, here it comes. Like they, people love to, y'all do it too. Don't play like, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all do it too. Love to ask questions about aliens, about dino, like dinosaurs, Leviathan, want to know about, uh, you know, evolution, want to know about the lost books of the Bible. Like all these questions start, start pouring out. And, and that's great. I'm, I'm happy 
I'm happy to answer those questions, but listen, I've debated with the best of them, and over the years, here is what I have discovered to be true time after time after time. It is not about asking legitimate questions. It's actually about using questions to shield them from what they know is true, that God is real and he has placed demands on their life. But, it, but instead, of, instead of actually accepting the fact God is real, God has placed demands on my life, I need to obey him, we, we can take question after question after question and, and just throw it out there and that will keep God at bay. It will keep God at a distance. Mm. Yeah, I, no, I'm not going to move on. <clears throat> and so listen to me, church family. Christianity is historical. It is rational. Amen. So Christianity is historical. It is rational. And, and there's nothing wrong with asking legitimate questions about the tenets of our faith. But having all of the answers is unrealistic expectation because we serve an infinite God. So the reality is you're actually better off spending your time making sure that you belong to the kingdom. Secondly, how do you, how do you get into the kingdom? Now, just as a warning, we are going to spend the, the majority of our time here. So when I say we're now onto the third point, don't go, oh my God, we're going to be here forever. I promise. Point three and four are going to go much faster. We're going to spend a lot of time here in two because it is the, the majority of our verses. Okay, so, so second point in our outline, how do you get into the kingdom or how do you know you belong to the kingdom? Look at 30, uh, 23b, verse 23. And he said to them, here it is, verse 24, Strive, strive to enter through the narrow door. For I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able. Jesus does not bother with this man's hypothetical question. Uh, he emphasizes to him particularly what he must do. And he begins by telling him to strive. Uh, now, the commentator Leon Morris is very helpful here in helping us understand. Here's what the commentator Leon Morris has to say. He says, strive is a word denoting wholehearted action. Wholehearted action. It's a technical term for competing in the games. He means the gladiator games. It's a term that, that, that means wholehearted action. It's a technical term for competing in the games. Listen to this. And from it, we get our word to agonize. To agonize. I wonder if you think about your Christian journey that way. To agonize. We love this type of message and this type of thought as it relates to Christianity. Joy. You like joy? Joy. Uh, uh, joy. How about happiness? Love, hope, comfort, meaning, peace. Are all of those things true of the Christian experience? A hundred percent they are. Yet Christianity is filled with joy and happiness and love and hope and comfort and meaning and peace. But do we also have categories for words like agony? Do we have categories for words like suffering and sacrifice and surrender and obedience and death. Can I tell you, Christianity is about both. It, it is about life and, and you will also find death. Isn't that what Jesus invites us to? Come and die with me so that you may live. Yeah. Christianity is, is both. It's, 
It's joy and happiness and love and hope and comfort and meaning and, and peace. And, and it's also agony and suffering and sacrifice and surrender and obedience. And it is also death. And that's exactly what he is calling us to when he says to strive to enter, that is enter into the kingdom through the narrow door. The, the narrow door. Meaning, meaning that Christianity is the most inclusive, inclusive religion in all of the world. Jesus says anyone can come. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how little money you got. I don't care what skin color you have. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care if you're on your fifth marriage, your first marriage. I don't care what you did in college. I Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, is what Jesus says. It, it, is, it is the most inclusive religion that there absolutely ever is, ever. Anybody can come. And it's also the most exclusive. Because this narrow door is Jesus himself. Because he is the only way. It's not as if God is a mountain and there are multiple ways to get to the top. It doesn't matter Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam, you know, whatever, whatever God, whatever name you name him, it's all the same God. Well, anyone who says that has done no studies of comparative religion. The religions do not teach and say the same things. They say the exact opposite things. So they can't all be true. And Jesus' claim is that he is the one and only true God and is the only way, the only door that you can enter into the kingdom. And so listen to me, church family. It is not unloving to be exclusive when the reality is there is only one way. We're not closed-minded and bigoted and if, if it is true that there really is one way. It's the, it's the loving thing that we must do to tell people that they are wrong. So the end of the verse there is very curious because Jesus says that there will be those who will seek, but they don't enter. Did you see that at the end of that verse? That, that's very curious because you guys know, Jesus has already told us, seek and you will Knock and it will be. So what gives? <laughs> what gives with him previously uh, in Luke 11, 9 through 10, telling us if you seek, you'll find. Knock and they'll be open. But here he's saying there will be those who, who seek, but the door won't be open. And as a matter of fact, Pastor Kirk, didn't you just say that anyone can come? Like what? I'm very confused at this point. Church family, this is why it is so incredibly important that we leave texts in their context. It's so incredibly important that we leave verses in the context of the verse because, because verse 25 will explain verse 24 to us. Look at verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then, then he will answer you, I do not know where you are coming from. They began to seek once the door was closed. That was where their seeking began. Their seeking began after the door was already not entered. There, there are only this is why they were seeking to enter but did not enter. There, there are only those who are seeking to get in after the door had been shut. That, that's those those people, meaning once the door is shut, it is too late. 
meaning that there are two groups. Those who are striving now, they, they get in the door, those who are striving now. But those who seek later do not make it through the narrow door because the narrow door is closed. So the point then is for us to strive now. Strive to enter now so that you may enter. The door closes when this life ends or when the Lord returns, and neither of those things we know when they will happen. Strive today. Strive today. Then these people, I'm going to look at verse 26 and 27, then realizing that they are on the outside of the kingdom, now they're going to give reasons why they think they should be in the kingdom. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank with you in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. These people believed that they should have been in the kingdom. They're surprised that the door is closed. They're like, wait a second, that's not right. We're we're supposed to be in there, and, and, and we're out here. And so they start to knock on the door. Lord, we were in Awanas. Lord, we went to youth group. Lord, all my friends went down front and got baptized by the youth pastor at the such and such Baptist church down the road, and I went with them. Lord, you should let me in. If you're taking notes, superficial contact with Jesus does not assure we belong to the kingdom. And so if you were raised in a Christian subculture, you might say, I went to church, I read my Bible, I gave to the missionary that was in time, uh, I, I, I was in Awanas, I, I said the sinner's prayer, I marked the card, I, I cried, I did the whole thing. But superficial contact with Jesus does not assure we belong to the kingdom. Or maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian subculture, you might say, I'm a good person. I did the best I could with what I had. There are other people who deserve more punishment than me. But either of those ideas, which I just expressed, express a fundamental misunderstanding of the depth of sin, the gospel of grace, and the cost of discipleship. I wish I had time to talk about all three of those. But to say that I went to church, I read my Bible, I got baptized, or to say I was a good person, I did the best I could with what I had, again, displays a fundamental misunderstanding of the depth of sin, the gospel of grace, and the cost of discipleship. we got to move. Now, as a result of their faulty reasoning and failed excuses, this is what is going to happen. I wish I could express the difficulty of reading this verse and preaching it to you, but I cannot. That burden is mine to carry. In that place... That is the place that's not in the kingdom, the place outside of the kingdom. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, there will be weeping meaning that people outside of the kingdom will experience deep sorrow and sadness. People who are not in the kingdom will feel deep regret on their part for ignoring God 
and going their own way. Not only will there be deep sadness, but this gnashing of teeth means that there will be anger. They'll be filled with sorrow, but they'll also be filled with mad at themselves. Mad at, mad at themselves. Mad at God. And, and mad at anyone else they can find to blame for their own predicament. They'll be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. They're, they're, there are heroes listed here. Did you see the heroes? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is directed at the nation of Israel. He's directing it at the people who should have known. The people who should have known. Isn't there a warning then here for us this morning? As, as, as we are the religious ones, are we not? We're the ones who wake up on Sunday morning, even during the summer when everybody else is at the beach and here we are at church. Aren't, aren't we then... The, the people who should have known. And yet they are on the outside. Then adding insult to injury. He tells them, these chosen people, these people of God, he explains to them that not only are they going to be left out of the kingdom where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's this other group of people, namely the Gentiles, the people who should not be in the kingdom, they're going to be in the kingdom. The people who should have known, they don't get in because they think that they don't need to strive is the point. But these people over here discover the grace of God and begin to strive towards the kingdom and they get in the kingdom. Verse 29. And people will come from east and west and from the north and from the south People from Australia, from Africa, people from China, people from Germany, people from Australia, people from the UK, uh, people, people from all over. They're going to come into the kingdom. And what are they going to do? Look at this. Recline at the table in the kingdom of God. That, that great marriage supper of the Lamb. That, that great welcoming in from the good king. No longer door to everything to, to, to be fully complete and, and no longer broken. And, and we sit at the table and recline and dine with Him. And we drink wine and we eat meat and we, we celebrate and we talk about all the good things. that are, Can you believe it? We look back at our lives. We look back over the course of history and we rehearse with one another. Can you believe what He's done? What He's done? All glory to the Father and the Son. That's what we're going to be doing at the table. And, and people from all over. Get, get to come and be at that table. And behold, some who are last, the, the Gentiles, those who were not given the law and the promises of God, some who are last will be first. We get welcome to the table. And some who are first, meaning those who got the promises of God, the chosen people of Israel, they will be last. Being last here means being excluded from the kingdom of God. Being last here is basically being shut out of the house. And so while the vast majority of us here in the room are not ethnically Jewish, we are Gentiles being welcomed into the kingdom of God. But again, yet there is a warning here for us. And here is the warning. Write this down. Here's the warning for us. Do not rely on things done in the past. The certainty of tomorrow or a connection with any particular group 
to bring you assurance that you belong in the kingdom. Do not rely on things done in the past. I went to church, I went to youth group, I marked a card, I prayed a prayer, I had a religious experience, I went to a concert, I raised my hands, I sang the praise songs, that something stirred. Don't rely on things that happened in the past, strive today. Don't rely on the promise of tomorrow because there is no promise of tomorrow. You could drop dead before the sermon is done. Jesus could return at any moment in the middle of this sermon right here, right now. The ceiling tiles could be peeled away and, and the Lord could descend. We have no promise of tomorrow. Strive today. And also don't rely on any connection to any particular group. I was a Baptist. I, I, I signed the Baptist confession. Okay, great. I was a Methodist. Signed the Methodist confession. Fine. I, oh, how about that? I was a Republican. Card carrying. I was a Democrat. I was... I was a member of the Rotary Club or whatever. Don't rely on things in the past. Don't rely on the future. And don't rely on connection to any particular group to assure that you belong to the kingdom. Strive today. Strive today. Again, let me just make this as a disclaimer. I need to keep saying this because we are a gospel people. Amen. Write this down. Striving does not earn my spot in the kingdom but it does give assurance that I belong to the kingdom. So what about the gospel of grace? Yes and amen. So how is one justified? By grace alone, through faith alone. But where does the assurance come from that one has been justified, the continuing to strive? That, that's where the assurance come from. To agonize, to take up your cross. Okay. Now, don't let your time run out. That's what happened to these people in this. Their, their time, the door closed. The time ran out. Be sure that you belong to the kingdom. Okay, I, I promised. I promised that, that points three and four go faster. Here we are. Thirdly, thirdly, who can stop the kingdom? Who can stop the kingdom? This is our final question before we move to our exhortation. At that very hour, that's how, that's how what's about to happen connects to what we just learned. At that very hour, some Pharisees came. <laughs> Do you see the connection here? If there was anybody that was confused about their place in the kingdom, <laughs> it was the Pharisees. They 110% thought, we will be at the table. We will be at the head of the table, is what the Pharisees thought. But, but they were on the outside, is, is the reality. At that very hour... Some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now that's very odd of the Pharisees to say, don't you think? <laughs> the, the, the Pharisee, are, are the good guys or bad guys, right? Are, are the Pharisees against Jesus or for Jesus? So why are they warning Jesus? Well, <clears throat> we also know that um, there, there were some believing Pharisees. So uh, all the positive people in the room that just believe the best about everything and everyone, y'all know who y'all are. It ain't me. You can believe that these are, believing, these are believing Pharisees and out of genuine concern for Christ, they're warning him. If you believe that, great. The text doesn't tell us. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think that at all. What I think is that they're actually trying to get him to run away from Herod to show... Anyway, well, he can't be the Messiah because the Messiah can't be a coward and run away from Herod. Anyway. And he said to them, <laughs> I love this, go... <laughs> Just so you know, Jesus is not above name calling. <laughs> Go tell that 
fox. Okay, in, in the context, in, in their culture, fox being uh, a trickster, fox being dishonest, a fox also being small and weak, yet predatory, right? So this is not, uh, this is far from a compliment. They tell him, get out of town. Herod's going to kill you. This is not an empty threat. Remember, because Herod beheaded John the baptizer. Listen to what Jesus says. <laughs> Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my course. Help me today. On the third day, I finish my course. 33, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away <laughs> from Jerusalem. Jesus, Jesus says, let him make all the threats that he wants to make. <laughs> Jesus knows that he was born to die. And Jesus knows that he will die at precisely the exact time that the Father has predestined him to die. So he ain't worried about Herod and all his, his threats. He's not worried about that at all. He said, you know where I'm going? Y'all know where I'm going to be. Y'all, I'm not hiding from anybody. You know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow? <laughs> I'm going to be healing people, casting out. You know what I'm going to be doing the day after? Y'all know where to find me. I'm going to be healing, casting out demons. And on the third day, help me today, on the third day, on the next third day, alluding to his death, alluding to his burial, alluding to his resurrection, on the third day, I'll be done. But Herod ain't going to make me be done. I'll be done when the Father says I'm done. <laughs> that's, that's what Jesus that's what Jesus, if you don't respect that, I don't know how else to portray Jesus to you. You've got to respect his, his resolve. And so the question then being, who can stop the kingdom? Nobody. Herod can't stop the kingdom. The Roman government couldn't stop the kingdom. Uh, all governments from, from that point on who have tried to, to press down Christianity, tried to get rid of Christianity, nobody has been able to stop the expanse of the kingdom and the gospel. It's unstoppable. It is absolutely 110%. Unstoppable. So just as sure as Jesus came and lived and died and resurrected, he is coming again. That final age, the final kingdom will come and no one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. No one. No one. If you're taking notes, the reason you must be sure that you belong to the kingdom is because it is unstoppable. No one can stop the kingdom. Fourth, fourth and last, a lament over those who reject the kingdom. Verse 34 and 35, our last two. He turns, he turns from this certainty of his mission. Right? He's so sure. He's so sure that, that God is going to protect them all the way and, and he's going to die at the precise time that he needs to die. But in, in the middle of that certainty, he turns to this lament. We know that it's a lament look, because, because the repetition. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Listen to the tender heart of Christ here. How often would I have gathered your children together as a, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. This, this is... This is the broken heart of Christ. He, he is desiring to care for them. He, Jesus is desiring them to protect them, to nurture them, to cherish them, and they are unwilling. This is the Lord in tears, weeping over those who will not refuse, they refuse to enter the kingdom. 
Listen to me, church family. Jesus does not rejoice over judgment. We, listen, we need to be so careful about our attitude, especially as it relates to this. When, when we're speaking of hell, when we're speaking of eternal separation from God forever, yelling at people, th- th- listen, there's no standing on a street corner with a sign yelling at people about how stupid they are and how awesome we are because we're going to heaven and they're going to hell. How ridiculous, how far from the heart of God, how far from the heart of Christ. He laments and he weeps over them. I wonder if there's people in your life, maybe they don't know it, but they are soaked in your tears. Maybe they don't know it, but they are, they are covered in your prayers and soaked in your tears because you have lamented over them that they have refused to enter through the narrow door. You know, maybe if there's no one in your life that is soaked in your tears and covered in your prayers, maybe maybe that's an indicator that you don't belong to the kingdom of God. Because those of us who belong to the kingdom of God, we have those people in our life that we love. They're our family. They're our friends. And we want more than anything, more than we would give anything for them to enter through the narrow door, but they refuse. And so we cover them in our tears. We cover them in our prayers. So listen, church family, here's what he continues to go on to say in verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken. He's speaking there of the the temple in Jerusalem, the house where they worship God. He, He says, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's He's referring to the the last and final day, the second coming of Christ. He's saying, you won't acknowledge, on that day when you finally see me in all my glory, then you'll have have to acknowledge me. But you're not going to acknowledge me until then. He's he's sorrowful that they are refusing then to enter through the narrow door. Their their problem was, is that they believed they did not need to strive. The reason they didn't need to strive is because they believed they had already arrived. Do you believe you've already arrived? If you think you've already arrived, then you won't strive. <laughs> it's by virtue of knowing that you have not arrived. I'm not where I need to be. I need to, I need to continue to kill sin in my life, and become more like Christ. I'm not where I need to be. My marriage isn't perfect. My parenting isn't flawless. I, listen, you, your pastor struggles all the time. I struggle with my faith. I struggle to believe. I struggle with depression. I struggle with anger. I struggle all the time. I'm not where I need to be. I got to keep striving. How about you? Don't, you? don't you need to strive? If you're taking notes, this is the last note before we, before we get to our application. Let us walk in humility because we belong to the king. We're, we're, not, we're not walking around saying, I've arrived at the kingdom. I'm, I'm where I need. Y'all can take a few lessons from, from me. I mean, if y'all, if y'all want to know about spirituality and, and God, and you know, just sit down. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. If you. We have not arrived. We are not impressive. We are simply beggars who know where to find bread. That's, that's all that we are. That's all that we are. Okay, I'm going to close with this. I, I want to close with three statements. Three statements and three fill in the blanks. The first three statements... 
It is if you say yes to any of these three statements, it is an indicator that you probably don't belong to the kingdom. I'm not, I'm not saying, God knows, not me. My point is, if you say yes to any three of these statements, it's an indicator that you probably don't belong to the kingdom. The first one goes like this. I experience no real pain or discomfort as a result of my faith. Would you answer yes to that? Second, I avoid the commands of Scripture that make me uncomfortable. If you're answering yes to that, that is an indicator that you probably don't belong to the kingdom. Thirdly, I'm only different from non-Christians in my confessions, not necessarily in my actions. Do you understand what I mean there? When I say confessions, I mean professions of faith. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. I believe in God. I, th I think going to church is good sometimes. But those are confessions. But do your actions show that? Is, when I say actions, I'm, of course, I mean striving. That's our word we've been using. Listen, I, only God knows if you belong to the kingdom or not. The great burden that I find as a pastor in the South in, in, in the Christianized South, the burden that I find is that I first must help people understand that they're not actually Christians so that they'll become Christians. And so while these are difficult to process and difficult to think about, we must, we must, there is too much at stake not to think on these things. Okay, fill in the blank. My daily striving for the kingdom my daily anguish, my daily agony, my daily cross-bearing, you could say, my daily striving for the kingdom is when I fill in the blank. Second, the most painful sacrifice I make for the kingdom is fill in the blank. Can you fill in the blank? Are you drawing a blank? Last one. Last one. I'm enduring blank. So I know I belong to the kingdom. I'm, I'm enduring. I'm striving through this. I'm enduring. I'm striving through this season of difficulty. I'm enduring. I'm striving through a difficult marriage. I'm enduring. I'm striving through uh, the failing health of uh, people that I love, I'm enduring, I'm I'm doing this, and, and because I'm enduring, because I'm striving, I know I belong to the kingdom. Oh, church family, I hope these are helpful to you. I, I hope that you are taking these to heart. I hope that we this morning are sincerely and soberly considering whether or not we belong to the kingdom. And you're not a Christian, don't let I don't want your time to, if, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, don't let your time run out. Don't let your time run out. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, you're saying, I'm resonating with what you're saying, Pastor Kirk, and I believe, I believe 
with an honest and pure heart that I do belong to the kingdom, then who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell? Listen, if we believe that you believe this, is this true? Then where is our urgency for the lost? Where, where is our deep desire to bring them? Why, why aren't we bringing them in? Why aren't we inviting them into the family of God? You've you got to come. You, you need to come in. You Come with me to church. I, I want to tell you. I want to go out to lunch with you after and, and tell you about the kingdom. Isn't this what this text is calling us to? Who will you bring? Again, the call from the text this morning is not a 30,000 foot question way up there. But it's landing right in the middle of every single one of our laps this morning. Do you belong to the kingdom? Let's pray together. And, oh Lord, what weighty matters you have set before us. What a difficult and burdensome text you have given us. But Lord, you tell us because you love us. You instruct us because you care. You give us your word because of your deep compassion for us. And so Lord, let us, myself included, let us search our hearts this morning and with a sober and honest answer, answer the question, do I belong to the kingdom? Oh Lord, send the power of your Holy Spirit even now to rest over this congregation and minister your word and truth to us. Write its eternal truth on our hearts. Do that mighty work here among us now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.